The advice and informational content does not necessarily represent the views of Mother's Market and Kitchen. Mother's recommends consulting your health professional for your personal medical condition. Hello, I'm Kimberly King, and welcome to the Mother's Market Radio Show, a show dedicated to the truth, beauty, and goodness of the human condition. On today's show, as women, we go through many stages in life, and we can feel better at every stage of life with just a few lifestyle changes. The latest on women's health is here. You won't want to miss this information, so listen close. Plus, later we'll tell you what's going on around town and tell you what's new at Mother's Market. But first up, Dr. Tori Hudson is a naturopathic physician and one of the nation's foremost voices in the field of women's health care and natural medicine. Dr. Hudson has been addressing the needs of women in her natural medicine health practice for 30-plus years. In, in 1999, the Association of Naturopathic Physicians awarded Dr. Hudson the prestigious title Naturopathic Physician of the Year for her leadership in the field of women's health. In committed to education and research, safe and effective naturopathic medicine, she has devoted her career to advancing women's health. And we welcome her to the Mother's Market Radio Show. Dr. Hudson, how are you? I'm good. Thank you, Kimberly. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. Why don't you fill our audience in a little bit on your mission and your work before we get to the show's topic today? Okay. Uh, well, it, I could just kind of shrink it down to a nugget, which is I really want to help more women more of the time. Uh, and and that's through my doctoring and my clinic, through teaching, through education, and writing and speaking and formulating products and advising other companies to formulate products that really are based on good solid science not just and not just effective products but safe and effective products well obviously your forte is about women and about women um, women's health so yes thank you (laughs) so I'd, i'd like to start by talking and asking you about are there any plants that have been studied for acute menstrual cramps you know there actually have there Recently, there was um, some research on uh, a study on valerian, but two studies more come to mind, which is both studies on ginger. Hmm. And so this is a a plant that's been used historically for a long time in menstrual cramp formulas. You'll see it in numerous formulations on the shelves. But there have been two studies in probably the last three, four years on ginger and acute menstrual cramps, and it was comparable to comparing it to the drug that they studied. And which was great news, and it doesn't, a herb doesn't have to be better than a drug, but to prove that it's as good as the drug, I think is fabulous basis for confidence and optimism on the part of women. And that this is one of those items where, you know, you're having cramping now, you want pain relief now, you want to take something now, which is what makes some of the over-the-counter and prescription drugs so appealing. So if we have something as simple as ginger, 250 milligrams four times a day that helps, then that is uh, a great thing to go to first, I think. And of course, none of these things, drug or herb, helps all women, but these two studies on ginger were very comforting. And um, and also starting with a teenager, some I mean, the age types, we can start with that. Yeah, any age. Ginger is not a toxic herb. It can, you know, have a little bit of a stomach um, irritation, for, but so that's more dose related. Mm-hmm. So a younger person might need to take 250 milligrams twice a day. Um, but this, but um, other than that, it's a very safe thing for them to try. And usually these kind of herbs for acute menstrual cramps, e- or actually even 
uh, not herbal as well, even something like ibuprofen or Tylenol, the best results are when you can start a couple days beforehand. Like if you're someone who knows you have regular menstrual cycle and you have regular menstrual cramps with your menstrual cycle, then starting a couple days ahead of time helps change all those pro-inflammatory, pro-spasmodic chemicals that are happening in the uterus that's causing all that pain. So getting a little jump on that is is ideal. And then of course there are ingre- natural ingredients that help you not have cramps over the long haul. So something like ginger is for in the moment, mm-hmm. but something like fish oils um, taken every day um, over a couple months period of time, then you start to see, oh, I have, I'm starting to have less menstrual cramps. And I mentioned fish oils because there was a study on young women and a certain dose of, of fish oils. So that's, we want something to help immediately with cramps and we want something to help reduce the severity and you know the frequency and the length that they of time that they have those cramps that's the thing because it's so interesting and um it's nice to see the shift there if um you know you believe it the rather than the uh the over-the-counter and going in the natural way yeah so this is a good a good a good option um what about soy safe in uh, breast cancer patients mm-hmm. can you talk about that soy is you know gotten uh, an unfair bad rap that still lingers. I I think, thankfully, it's waned quite a bit. Um, But the evidence is really quite compelling and quite clear after three very, very, very large studies were done in breast cancer patients and, and soy intake. And they found that eating a serving of soy minimum every day, and each study was a little bit different, but somewhere at least like 50, 60 milligrams of isoflavones, those are the compounds in the soy. So something like a glass of soy milk um, would be an example of a serving of soy. Women with breast cancer who had a serving of soy or a soy supplement every day had lower rates of recurrence and less disease progression Mm. and longer survival rates. So it's really anything that your customers might be reading that says soy is unsafe for breast cancer patients is antiquated, outdated information. And um, similarly, we can say that soy is a safe food and a safe supplement for non-breast cancer patients. It does not increase the risk of breast cancer. And it is safe and perhaps helpful medicinal for breast cancer patients. So soy milk, tofu, tempeh, all those things you have in the store. And then there's soy isoflavone in capsules that generally have about 60 milligrams of isoflavones per capsule. Actually, that's something I prescribe for my breast cancer patients is they take a soy capsule or they eat a soy food. every day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one can start to then maybe dig under a little bit, well, what is a healthier soy food than a, another soy food? Um, and that gets into genetically modified or not, organic or not, but that's a different conversation. Um, and, you know, highly, more highly processed or not, you know, I prefer to tell my patients about just good old fashioned soy milk, which is a very traditional food in Asia, 
All those Asian Chinese women are drinking it. They're getting low rates of breast cancer, but that's just one tiny little piece of evidence. But um, so traditional foods, soy milk, tofu, tempeh, edamame. You know, I tend to not steer my patients towards, you know, tofu hot dogs, although I love them. <laughs> uh, but uh, those are, you know, not what Japanese and Chinese women have been doing for centuries. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, anybody who's still afraid of soy around breast health, I really, really encourage you to just let that go because the science supports the point of view that I'm sharing. Thank you for clarifying that. And uh, that's uh, with that recent study. Uh, let's talk a little bit about women who t may or may not take too much calcium. Can you clarify that? That's also something that got a little bit of buzz in the last couple years. And the, the buzz was about if you had an intake of a, greater than 1,400 milligrams a day, taking into account calcium in your diet and calcium in your pills, that that might increase the risk of some cardiovascular disease, like some calcification on the heart arteries. What was the number again? 1,400. Above 1,400 might be problematic. But since then, that has really kind of been teased out and, and you know, vetted and looked at from every which way. And, it, and it, it's not very compelling that, that that's the case. Mm -hmm. That being said, there is no compelling reason for women to have more than 1,400 milligrams a day. There's no reason to do that. Um, so on the off chance, there might be reasons not to do that. Um, I would say we should keep postmenopausal women in the range of 12 to 1400 milligrams a day. But what we have to remember, and this is really important in a store like uh, Mother's Markets, is, is we're talking about you have to kind of guesstimate how much calcium you're getting in your diet from the foods you're buying off the shelves. And then if you're not getting 12 to 1400 milligrams as a postmenopausal woman, then you add your multi or your calcium formula, your bone formula to make up that difference. Mm. And they're easy charts to look at, like one glass of milk is about 300 milligrams. You know, one serving of cottage cheese is about X and one serving of yogurt. So you kind of a serving of dairy a day, you can easily look up and see how many milligrams of calcium I getting in that serving. And then just the rest of the diet, we kind of just kind of guesstimate and automatically give them 250 milligrams of credit. So if we get 250, pretty easy for everybody to get that just by eating average, not even eating well. Hmm. And then a serving of dairy or a serving of soy, which is calcium fortified. So we tack on usually another 300 there. So now we got that 250 plus that 300 is 550. So we only need to supplement 800, 900 milligrams. And so then they can look in their multi and their bone formula and take the difference. Because the message, that hasn't been a clear message. People are taking 1,000 in a pill. They're taking 1,500. Yeah. And while I do not think it's compelling that that increases the risk of cardiovascular disease, this calcium is a big molecule, and so it can inhibit the absorption of smaller nutrients, manganese, copper, zinc, silica, boron, and those all go to bone health. So it is important to try to stay in that range for postmenopausal women of 12 to 1400. 
Thank you. That clarified it. No, that was a long answer. No, no, but you that worthwhile. <laughs> it was worthwhile. Thank you. Uh, let's talk now about natural ingredients and what are some effective natural ingredients for acute bladder infection. Uh-huh. Well, I think the one that most women know about is cranberry. But cranberry is actually best evidence is if you get recurring infections, to be honest. So so if you get recurring, you know, three to six infections a year, let alone more, staying on cranberry every day in some form is actually going to reduce the incidence and the frequency. For acute bladder infections, yes, you can have cranberry in a formula, but something like mannose has some good evidence, uh, and you'll see that in some of your formulas. I'm sure on the shelves at Mother's Markets they have mannose powder by itself, but you'll also see it in some of the combination formulas. One of my favorite herbs for bladder infections is Oregon grape root, or any, actually, some source of berberine. It doesn't have to be Oregon grape root, but that compound berberine in particular actually inhibits the most common bacteria associated with the bladder infections. So if you inhibit the overgrowth and then you um, flush it out with water or a, a diuretic and you're taking mannose and good kind of bacteria, lactobacilli, that inhibit the infection causing bacteria from sticking to the bladder wall, you're doing antibacterial herbs, you're Keep keeping the bad bacteria from inhabiting, you're replacing good bacteria, and you're flushing. That's uh, sort of like the recipe for bladder infections. This is really interesting information, and um, we're going to have to take a break. We're going to be right back, but uh, this is uh, really interesting. So more with Dr. Hudson in just a moment. Don't go away. We will be right back. Looking for healthier snack options? Mother's Market sources organic and non-GMO small batch, high-quality, great-tasting nuts, dried fruits, snacks, and candy. The goal? To provide you the highest in quality snacks while also offering high nutritional value. Fan favorites include non-GMO peanut butter pretzel bites, organic dried mango slices, and organic dark chocolate peanut clusters. Stop into your local Mother's Market today to explore all the varieties and pick some up to try for yourself. Let's talk menstruation, perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause. These shouldn't be taboo topics. They're the normal life phases we move through as women. And Solaray delivers support every step of the way with Her Life Stages. The first of its kind, comprehensive new supplement line offers doctor formulated solutions at each stage with clinically backed ingredients you can count on. Own the stage. Buy Solaray at Mother's Market today. And welcome back to the Mother's Market Radio Show. And we want to remind you that if you've missed any portion of today's show, you can find us on iTunes by searching Mother's Market or download the show from our website, mothersmarket.com. Click the link for radio and listen to past shows. Plus, download our healthy recipes and money savings coupons, all available at mothersmarket.com. And now back to our interview with Dr. Tori Hudson, and we're talking about women's health. So, Dr. Tori, we're talking about women's health, and what are your top five plants for menstrual hot flashes? Well, I, I, I 
menopausal hot flashes. Yes. yes. Um, so yes, perimenopause, menopause, and by the way, the latest study on this topic showed that women, on average, can have have hot flashes for seven years. So that we <gasps> thought it was a little shorter, but it's seven years. Seven years. So I, I know I suggested this question, but I'm having a hard time with five. But I'll put in my top five. Black cohosh <laughs> oh. is the most researched plant for hot flashes. Okay. Uh, a plant called uh, maca peruvianum or maca peruvian plant has some excellent research. Also, uh, um, something that might be a little hard to find, but Siberian rhubarb is a study that had four, uh, a, pro a plant that had n nice four studies on hot flashes showing efficacy. And then I want to put in a plug for a combination of St. John's wort and black cohosh because we usually think of St. John's wort for just sort of mild to moderate depression, but in perimenopausal women and menopausal women, you know, depression does have a little bit of an uptick, but women who took the two together had better hot flash relief than black cohosh alone. Mm. And then I would just look for some other really good combination products, you know, uh, Conflict of interest announced. Vitanica has an example of that called Women's Phase Two, one of my formulas, which has five herbs in it. But there are other great products out there, combination products from other companies. So look for plants, look for combinations that had the black cohosh, the St. John's wort, um, maybe some dong quai, maybe some uh, burdock, maybe some soy, maybe some red clover. Um, those are the things that I would would look for. And I know that's past five, we've gone to five, but oddly enough, there's been a few studies on pine bark extract, which I know you have on your shelves, that was quite effective for hot flashes. And one very recent study on grapeseed mm -hmm. extract for hot flashes, which we normally think of for blood pressure and cardiovascular. But those are my thoughts for the moment. What about speaking? And <laughs> when you can't, is that part of with menstrual or premenstrual or perimenstrual? What about when what? you can't get your words Oh, yes, out? you can't, you, you flummox your words. Yes, yeah. well, we'll say yes. Okay. How about that? <laughs> that goes into that. It's a that. Good, good reason, a good explanation, a good excuse. <laughs> I just had to throw that in there. But cognitive changes are associated with perimenopause and menopause. You know, less focus, less concentration, little memory glitches, little recall glitches, like what is your name right. anyway? That's yeah. mine, yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> so My name's Tori, by the way. <laughs> I'm looking at you and I'm thinking, what is that name again? Thank you for wearing a name tag, too. <laughs> um, should women... Oh, okay, let me go to the next question. Are there some new and interesting things in the women's health research in the last one to two years that have surprised you? Yes, I love some of this, uh, this study on green tea shrinking fibroids. I oh. mean, uterine fibroids, we hardly ever have anything in natural medicine to shrink fibers or in conventional medicine, by the way. Hmm. Usually it comes down to surgery, essentially. And another study shrinking fibers on black cohosh. So those are two big wows in my mind. Something that was actually studied in a good study showed actual documentation with the ultrasound showing smaller fibroids, less fibroids, and, and more well-behaved fibroids after the end of the day. So those are, those are two things. Also a great little study on melatonin, 10 milligrams a day, and endometriosis. So hmm. I'm trying to picking on two conditions that are very hard for, for doctors to treat, let alone for women to self-treat. So melatonin had significant impact on the pain associated with endometriosis. And then one of my favorite all-time women's health supplements in the last year is something called N-acetylcysteine, or N-A-C for short. 
again, effective uh, in many women for endometriosis. It's a great fertility ingredient, improves ovulation, improves what's called insulin sensitivity in women who have polycystic ovarian syndromes, such that then they ovulate after they take NAC and they get pregnant. Wow. So those are some things that I'm sure your listeners might not have easily heard of. Wow. Well, making big strides in there. And I like that. Yeah, this is um, something that's yeah. new, new and that... Um, this is good, with, juicy stuff. And you know what? I haven't really heard a lot of things um, about fibroids. So I like that. That was the first thing out of the gate because a lot of women suffer from fibroids yes. and they can be very painful. Uh, let's talk about, um, should women get screening with for mammograms? Mammograms, well, that's a hot yeah, issue. That is a complicated topic. Mm -hmm. um, let me first say, any answer I give to this question right now, I'm talking about women who are at low risk for breast cancer. They do not have uh, a first-degree relative with breast cancer. They, do, they have not had breast cancer themselves. They are not obese. Um, they do not have a genetic... Um, marker that's tested positive. So we're talking about low-risk women. And basically, and I'll really try to do this short, there are four camps to the answer to this question, should low-risk women get screening mammography. The dominant camp is uh, the American College of OBGYNs, American Cancer Society, um, the American College of Radiologists, and the Susan Coleman Foundation. Is every woman should get them at age 40 every year. The second camp is the U.S. government independent task force that said that we're not convinced that the data on that is really actually worth doing it that young and that often. So we recommend every other year starting at 50. So right there you have two significant, knowledgeable, expert bodies advising completely different things. Mm -hmm. And then the third camp is a more European model every three years, and the fourth camp is not at all. And like the Swedish government recently adopted. And what's interesting about these four camps is they're all reading the exact same science, the exact same literature, the exact same numbers, but the first camp is saying, we're okay with having to screen 2,500 women every single year for 10 years to save one woman's life when, from breast cancer by detecting it early and treating it early. And camp number two is saying, those numbers are terrible. Mm -hmm. Why, why do all those mammograms, all those extra callbacks, all those biopsies, it's unimpressive that, that we, that how all those mammograms and all that screening, what it's doing. So basically the issue is detecting it early on a mammogram before you can feel it, feel it is not really all it's cracked up to be. Hmm. So detecting it early and treating it early isn't really saving very many women's lives. And I'm not saying don't get mammograms. I'm just saying consider, if you're low risk, maybe this at least the every other year starting at 50. That's interesting. And again, that the science behind that is yeah. showing the four different camps. So again, thank you for dispelling that or showing the research behind that with that. I don't think I've ever heard that yeah. either. And those they might your reader uh, listeners might be interested. I think I wrote about this in a fair amount of detail on my blog, okay. uh, drtoryhudson.com, and they could read more about 
where this the details come, of that. Yeah. yeah, how this has been backed up. So thank you. I appreciate that. Um, let's um, talk about the black cohosh because you mentioned this a bit before. So that's, is this safe for breast cancer patients? It is. And the science is quite clear on that as well. There are no phytoestrogens in black cohosh. There's no estrogen in black cohosh. It doesn't increase estrogen levels, and it's been proven to be safe for breast cancer patients. So it's my sort of first uh, go-to herb in a breast cancer patient who is suffering from hot flashes. Hmm. It's because we know of its safety, and then we hope that it's going to help her. Hmm. Thank you. But there are five things I wanted to talk about for breast health in general. Sure. Um, since we're talking about breast. And if I were to kind of give my top five advice items for breast health, I'd say fish oils routinely, uh, soy serving a day, green tea, either a cup, uh, you know, cup or two or a capsule a day, r four hours of exercise a week minimum, and uh, manage weight. You know, do not get overweight, and let alone get obese. All those things are on my top five because they all have some nice science to support their benefits in reducing the risk of breast cancer. And over and over again, we read, uh, especially about exercise and weight management. That seems to be the, the top, no matter where you're going. So that... Um I know that, you know, exercise, I like to tell my patients, there's no drug, there's no mm -hmm. prescription drug, over-the-counter drug, vitamin, mineral, herb, that has as many health Benefit. benefits across the board as, as regular exercise. Right, so wherever you are on the spectrum. What, any research for women and infertility? Yeah, that's really picked up a lot of pace lately. There's some good research on inositol, uh, improving um, ovulation and implantation and pregnancy outcomes. There's a DHEA, 25 milligrams, three times a day. Again, this N-acetylcysteine that I was mentioning before. Um, inositol comes in a few different forms, and they all seem to kind of work. Chiroinositol, myoinositol, not sure what you have in the store, but they all seem to work. And then good old-fashioned chase tree berry, if the problem is not ovulating regularly and having sort of infrequent uh, menses, uh, chase tree berry uh, has been shown to improve fertility as well. So those are some things to get people started. I do have an infertility chapter in my book, the Women's Encyclopedia of Natural Medicine, with more details on that as well. Wonderful. Well, this has been um, very interesting, and I would imagine your book is uh, also uh, mentioned on your website. Is that I hope so. I hope so too. <laughs> that would be <laughs> that'd be a big miss if it wasn't. Well, uh, doctor, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time, Doctor Hudson, and um, some great advice. And uh, we appreciate your knowledge. And uh, it sounds like there's just so much booming and exploding in um, the area of women's health right now. Um, and we appreciate your research. In the meantime, you can get more information on Doctor Hudson on her website. It is Vitanica. I'm going to spell that V as in Victor I T A N. ICA.com, Vitanica.com. We look forward to your next visit. Thank you very much. Thank Bye. you. Thanks for listening to the Mother's Market Radio Show and for shopping at Mother's Market. The advice and informational content does not necessarily represent the views of Mother's Market and Kitchen. Mother's recommends consulting your health professional for your personal medical condition.